This is Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. I'm your host, Melissa Rao, and this podcast is a conversation on the Four Faith weekly devotional sent out every Friday. You can find a link for this week's Four Faith and a link to subscribe to Four Faith in the episode's description. Good morning, Bishop. How's it going? Good morning, Melissa. Good to be with you. (laughs) Well, Bishop, you wrote your devotion and you named it Convinced. And, you know, the thing that stuck out to me, you asked two highly catalytic questions. (laughs) I'm glad you you noticed that. (laughs) I did. You said this, you said, do I really believe that love is the more excellent way? And then you followed it up. And if we actually do, what is love's cost for me right now? Bishop, so I'm going to just turn it around on you. (laughs) (laughs) I want to know what is love's cost right now for you? And what do you think love's cost is for us right now? Right. So on the way to all that, let me just give you a little bit of context, right? So mm-hmm. first of all, we got we have Valentine's Day coming up, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, so, and so, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak in the tongue of men and of angels and have not love, I'm as a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal and love hopes all things, believes all things. So this great, great chapter of love that we've all heard at various weddings, et cetera, right? So, there, so there's that. And what, what I was really trying to tap into is, is that Paul's great gift to us is is that Paul, uh, according to his readings, is convinced that love is the best way. Uh, And if you look at sort of Paul's biographical sketch, Paul's tried some other ways, right? Paul's tried to be right as the way, as the most excellent way, and that didn't work. And and his journey is, if you journey with him, his journey is, is that he's finally figured out, perhaps like some of us, that there's no better way than love. Right. And so that's that's the background of of all of this. And so the question from me to to anybody who's reading or listening really is a, a pastoral question. It, it really is. Number one, are we convinced that that is true? And let me tell you a little bit about that. Uh, not too long ago, Easton Davis uh, and I uh, did a little bit of a crowdsourcing. And we asked across my Facebook uh, page, um, you know, what are the questions that people are struggling with, right? Because we, we're trying to figure out how we can be uh, useful this Lent. How can we can do a video series that is actually trying to answer the questions that people actually have rather than sort of preaching above or beneath people? And so what we saw again and again and again was people were wondering, how do I love my neighbor? Especially, you know, given the backdrop of political division and uh, racial reckoning and just, you know, sort of uh, all of the fear that's in our system, uh, systems individually and collectively. How do I love my neighbor? And so it, it, it strikes me that I need to work on a little bit as someone who has this opportunity to talk to people. You know, what do we actually believe? I mean, are we the vast majority of us still at sort of the uh, the novice level, if you will, not meaning any, to be disparaging, but the novice level as, as Christians? Uh, are we still needing to be persuaded that that love is the best way, or are we further along? And then, of course, I look at my role as my job, if you will, 
is to try to meet people where they are without shame, guilt, or obligation and try to move the ball downfield. Mm. So, I, so I'm trying to ask people to lay claim to, you know, what are you actually convinced of? Many of us have been in church our entire lives. Many of us have drunk an ocean of communion wine and eaten a barn full of communion wafers, right? We've heard billions of sermons. What do you need to be convinced today that in the real world, the real world, or even at your own address, that love is the best way. And so so that's not to avoid your question. That's to say that now, for me, highly personally, right, uh, do I believe that love is the way? Yes. And I think a lot of people would say, I believe that love is the way. But it's the delivery system, <laughs> right, mm-hmm. day, day to day. And so I think that in my opportunities to be a parent to five people, you know, that's my challenge is, is, the, is, you know, what is love's cost? And it's, it's different in every instance, right? What is love's cost is I try to love the people who are my colleagues and I serve alongside. So that's at that level, sort of my inner ring of folks. And of course, then the next uh, ring, uh, sort of the exurbs of my life would be, you know, the people uh, uh, sort of beyond me knowing them personally and them knowing me personally, but are nevertheless my neighbor. And so, so the cost is always going to be that I have to give up my entitlement to separateness, my entitlement to superiority. I have to be beside them. Uh, Brian Stevenson talked about proximity. And so even if not physically proximate, uh, proximate to people, I have to give up sort of uh, relishing that I'm distant from people who are living in the Rust Belt in this country and terribly afraid or living in rural Georgia and terribly afraid and try to get beside them some kind of way and get past a lot of the arguments uh, that I find reprehensible, frankly speaking, and get closer to them as human beings who are afraid and 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 hopefully that can drive me a little better. So so I think that's a long way to answer um you know what love costs is me giving up something and certainly Jesus modeled that. Sure. As did Martin Luther King and Hank Aaron who unfortunately died this past year, right? In January. Well, that's really, I've been itching to write something that references Hank Aaron, I got to tell you, because I, I had a chance to meet him. And, uh, you know, we can talk about Dr. King and we can talk about C.T. Vivian, John Lewis and all of those folks. And we can talk about many, uh, you know, uh, Christian men and women who, who have modeled what it meant to, to live this agape love, this unconditional love. But I mean, I, I think when you when you talk to Hank Aaron, when you when you watch what he did, that he chose not to hate, even though he was entitled to hate, at least in response to the hate that was coming his way, right? Mm-hmm. The tidal wave of hate that was coming his way for simply just being who God made him to be, you know, for smacking the hell out of that ball. People hated him. Right. And to see him mm-hmm. and get to talk to him and realize he was making at real intersections in his life. Right. He was deciding that he would not choose hate. It's, it's an extraordinary thing. And I, I don't think that uh, we, we will give him uh, all the credit that is due him and Billy Aaron for deciding consciously to be Christian in the face of people's hate and contempt. 
you know, I'm I'm struck by the phrase that I've heard, and I it never has resonated with me ever, uh, because we know it. I I just know it not to be true. And some people will say love is a two way street. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I would say no. It's definitely not a two way street. No, it's not. No. So, you know, um, Bishop, I want to ask you more questions, but I feel like now is the perfect time for a break. So friends, we'll be right back with four people after a short break. If you're enjoying Four People with Bishop Rob Wright, we encourage you to subscribe. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Welcome back to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. Bishop, before we made uh, for break, I asked a question or I made I made a comment about love not being a two-way street. And I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that um, you that that um, statement gives us an opportunity to think a little bit about about uh, Christian maturity. Uh, so when St. Paul writes this letter, uh, you know, the first first Corinthians 13, he, he finishes this beautiful soaring chapter about love uh, with this sort of non sequitur. And he says, love is love is about growing up. Right. When I was a child, I thought as a child, understood as a child, spoke as a child. But when I became a man, and we would add, when I became a woman, I put away childish things. So, so what what Paul is saying as he as he finishes this chapter is is that love is about growing up. Love is about maturity, right? And so, so the biblical notion of love and this, the version of love that we have seen in the men and women who have changed this country and indeed changed this world was not puppy love was not sentimentality, right? It was not sort of hearts and flowers, though those, those, those things are all good. But it was this mature expression of love. And the first feature of that is that it's not contingent. Loving, uh, we are to love without having received or waiting to receive love first. I mean, th- this, is, this is crucial. And I think this is, this is what sort of derails so many of us is, is that so we're doing really codependence rather than Christian love, right? So if Dr. King would have been waiting around for people to love him, right, we, we, you know, to, to do his work in Montgomery and later in Atlanta uh, and beyond, we would have got not very much from him, right? So, th- so is, there is this notion that I'm fastening myself to love, come what may, and it's not contingent on what I receive. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is, I mean, this is why Jesus at the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. While they are actually piercing his side and lynching him as a criminal, he is loving. Now, now I don't want to be a martyr. Me, Rob, I don't want to be a martyr. And I think the majority of people don't want to be a martyr. But if we're going to talk about what the retail cost of this Christian love is, we ought to talk about it. And that is it has a suffering component. And part of that suffering is, is that I'm going to love because I am persuaded, I am convinced, right, that love is the way forward. And it's not contingent on what you believe and what, you know, what you want to do in response to my loving you. And that is the kind of Christian maturity and Christian love that have brought us forward as uh, Christians, as a civilized world and nation. And, and, and when we get into something less than that, we're really into codependence, Right. I, I will if you will. Right. And so so who's going to love first? I mean, take it out of this high mindedness and, and think about it in a marriage. 
right? If you're always waiting to receive everything that you think you've given, jot and tittle, you'll be waiting around a long time. Mm-hmm. Well, right? Yeah. I, you know, I, you focused in on ch- uh, the verse eight of chapter 13 in Corinthians, love never ends. And before it, Paul goes into what love is, and he only says love is patient and love is kind. And then the rest of the entire, you know, kind of the the rest of the verses until verse eight is is what love isn't. What love is not. You know, right. love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Right. right. <laughs> so not speak of its own mind. Well, right. you know, That's I'm thinking it. of Twitter and I'm thinking of Facebook and I'm thinking of loving people who in their righteous indignation and and I think holy anger end up behaving in a non-loving way and we lose our way. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the ways we can hold intention, our longing for justice, yet maintain our love for neighbor. Yeah, I mean, I think we can love. We can love justice. We can thirst after justice, and we don't have to 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 um, leverage any kind of personal contempt for people on the way there. I mean, I think we can name things and identify things again without being, you know, uh, uh, included including ourselves in personal uh, attacks. We can talk in terms of accountability, and we can talk talk in terms of responsibility. But again, it doesn't have to be you know, a personal attack. When I think about, uh, since it's February, I think about Dr. King and his letter from the Birmingham jail. Dr. King talked about being disappointed when he saw that the liberal church didn't have, uh, you know, any backbone in the face of segregation, et cetera, and all those sorts of things. But he never sort of ran them down by name. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and I, I think this is, and, and then I think we have to, this is why it is so important to really be gorged on scripture as you try to do this. I think that's one of the things I also heard in some of the questions that we were fielding is, is that sort of people having been in church a long time were asking really sort of one-on-one questions. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't speak to a life that's immersed in scripture, right? So I think, I think Dr. King used to tell people, you know, you know, if you can't be nonviolent, don't get in this. Because what he was saying was, is that you have to be tethered to something that is real and compelling for you, that when you face down mobs and when you face down racist, uh, you know, slurs and epithets and all that sort of stuff, you have to be anchored to something that is real. So that, you know, what he used to talk about was soul force. And so if you're not engaged in, you know, being connected to the force of the universe, which is ultimately the most durable force in the universe, which is love, and you try to go out here and, and, you know, sort of do this stuff, then, you know, there are going to be some casualties, right? Uh, you know, not the least of which your emotional life, your spiritual life, et cetera. So, so I think first and foremost, and when we look at Jesus, Jesus was prepared to be Jesus that we love and know based on his time in the wilderness, right? Because it was the wilderness time that made him very clear about what he was connected to deeply. Mm-hmm. And everything downstream of that was a response to what he sort of learned about himself and learned about God and learned about his priorities in wilderness. And so I think that was a, that's the first thing I would say is, is that, you know, if, if you're one of those folks, and, and, and we all are to some degree, who, who need some convincing, who need a booster shot of, of, of why we're doing this unconditional love again in the real world, then I think you ought to decide this Lent to just dig down deep in the notion, the biblical notion of what is love. 
because that is the thing that will grow you up faster than anything else. And everything is downstream of that. I mean, if the Bible says that God is love, then let's start with what God is. And then let's sort of build our sense forward. Because, you know, loving neighbor is a great thing to say, but unless it's tethered to uh, loving God and understanding that you have been loved, then it, it will crack and crumble under real pressure. And I, I think this is why the, this generation of octogenarians and even more who are leaving now are leaving such a big hole because it, it, maybe they weren't made of better stuff than us, but, but maybe they were focused more intently on it. And so when I see uh, people like Hank Aaron leave and I see others leaving, I, I grieve like lots of people grieve, but I, I grieve also particularly because these were living witnesses to having faced down evil and sin, and hate, and, and taking the long view, and, and, and deciding not to return evil for evil, focused on, you know, forgiveness, and love, and acceptance, etc. And, and when they leave, uh, they leave, you know, a huge hole. And, and I, I'm hoping that we now can follow their example and, and be convinced, as Paul said, that love, as he says in his 12th chapter, 1 Corinthians, Love is the more excellent way. I am clear now. I am resolved, not just intellectually, but that is the way that we can make our way forward practically. Bishop, I was going to ask a follow-up question, but I kind of feel like you just brought it home. (laughs) 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 But with that, you know, very quickly, sometimes I think it's so hard to love because I don't feel loved by others. And, And I think... I think the hard part here is is minding our not minding our own business, but kind of like minding our side of the street, focusing in on us and our expression and the way we practice love. And it really shouldn't matter about how we're being treated or whatnot. But um, that I guess was not really a question; it was just a statement. And <laughs> Easton, you should probably just delete all of this because Bishop's ending was perfect. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Bishop, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? No, I, I wish everybody a, a happy Valentine's Day and <laughs> and, and be, beyond all that, I wish you I wish you a happy Christian love day. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Four People with Bishop Rob Wright. You can keep up with us on Instagram and Facebook at Bishop Rob Wright. Please subscribe, leave a review, and we'll be back with you next week. <laughs>